That's a rather um, posh T-shirt you're wearing there, JB, I've noticed. It's a branded one, isn't it? It's the poshest one I've got. Yeah. Um, Did you and me buy it together? We may well have done, actually. In Miami? Yeah. I think you might be right on that. Yeah, I think you went to the yeah. Ralph Lamore shirt shop and I yes. went to the Matalan equivalent of Miami. Costco. Yeah, Costco, that's it. <laughs> um, anyway, um, good morning, good afternoon, good evening, good overnight to our lovely listeners listening to us in podcast land. It's a pleasure and it's been a while, isn't it, since we've last done something together? It's been so long and I cannot actually remember when we last did a podcast. It was four months ago, would you believe? Was Crazy. Really? Yeah. Um, anyway, um, for those of you that are regular listeners to uh, the C global leadership podcast um you will know that you've been missing our lovely voices um but in the meantime we have accumulated quite a few listener questions and themes to talk about and as ever um, we will chew through as many questions and themes as we can over the next 60 minutes uh, the good news is for our lovely podcast listeners is jb and i've committed to recording four more episodes over the next month including some guests to join us at various points which i guess is my next point to say if you would like to be a guest on one of our podcasts um you've got some leadership thinking you'd like to share then feel free to email us at glp for global leadership podcast at seedle.com that's g for global l for leadership p for podcast at seedle.com uh, and uh, we will con consider whether you're any good or not to include in our podcast if you if you know I'm, i know it's easy to surpass me but jb is a bit of a leadership legend and if, you, if you're going to look silly in front of him that's best not you apply um but failing that feel free to drop us a line and we'll consider it i know we've got some um senior leaders coming on podcasts in the future which is quite mm. exciting but i just it just occurred to me and um wouldn't it be great to have some Gen Y uh, people, some millennials, Ooh. if we can find them, um, yeah. some some young, bright things. Um, I'd like to really have a conversation with them about what it's like to be a millennial at work these days. What are they after? What do they want? What do they Ooh. need? Interesting. I reckon maybe we should have a panel of, of millennials. Wouldn't it be fun? I, yeah. where, where can we? Where should we go and get them? Um, I think we can we can hoard up our our users. We have enough of them these days that we could get a nice yeah. community. Um, I like I like your thinking. And if you've just fun. heard that, then also email GLP saying I heard your your call out for for panelists of millennials. I am one. Uh, sign me up. Yeah. Uh, in, incidentally, mm. we do have a, we do have a listener question we're going to cover later on on generational leadership. Um, but first, JB, before we get into the crux of it, it has been so long. How is the life on the road with your bongo? Well, it's fantastic. And I, one of the best investments actually was getting my Mazda Bongo, uh, which um, is a Japanese import. And uh, it's got electric blinds. Woo! It's got an electric pop-up roof, uh, which is quite exciting. Um, the car stereo uh, comes on and off intermittently, uh, a bit like the windscreen wipers. Um, and usually if I put the cigarette lighter on, then the radio comes on, uh, but for only for a while. So it's always a little bit of a kind of random trip whenever we, whenever we go in it. But I've got new glow plugs. I've got a new cam belt and uh, I've got uh, some new batteries. So the next trip should be pretty, pretty safe. And I'm actually going off to Wales in it. And I hope it's not raining. 
Well, w- with the greatest of respect, you've talked about going away in it to Wales, but you've not mentioned the fact you've got an overnight stay over with some mates first. Oh, sorry, Anne. Yes, no. So on the way Flipping to it. Wales, um, I am meeting up with and and the gang uh, for a drinks session. I can't imagine what could possibly go wrong. No, but if you're around the M4 on Friday morning after this has been yes. recorded, avoid. May, yes, yes, stay clear. He'll be driving on the hard shoulder most probably. Yes, with my um, top up, top <clears throat> up, not my top off. I beg yeah. your pardon. Although it's entirely possible. <laughs> <laughs> Depends how well Thursday night went, really. Um, um, but and tell me about your world. Um, I think the last podcast uh, you were talking about your sprouting laurels. Yes. Oh, my goodness. Well remembered. Uh, they are sprouting nicely. It turns out I killed one by overwatering it. Um, I, I thought, well, well, that's the thing. So I, I was watering and watering them all because I kind of thought it was because we in June had a really dry June. It's been wet ever since. And one of them was going yellow. All the leaves were starting to yellow and drop. And then I thought, oh, good. I need to give it more water then because it was super dry. Anyway, then it completely shed its its load of leaves. And then I looked up online that actually they can cope with underwatering. It's overwatering. They can't cope with. Don't plant them in boggy areas, um, especially when they're young. Anyway, I stopped watering and it's now grown back and it's looking lovely again. Wow. Um, but the, the whole, all the bushes now look better that I've stopped watering them, which is a bit odd. Um, but yeah, and you've, got a new, you've got a new member of the family as well that will probably be wee on it, which you've got to deal with as well, I guess. Indeed, you're absolutely well. The, we, we have several animal fur members of the family. We have a cat that's 15 who likes to use any bushes as its litter tray, which drives me mad. But don't worry, it's like a it's like a caviar for the pup. Um, so we have we have one chocolate Labrador who's seven. In fact, when we started the podcast, she was a mere pup then. Yeah. Um, and shows you how old this podcast is now. I think we five years this podcast now. Yep. Um, and um, and then add into the mix, we've just invested in a second Labrador uh, called Willow, who's a a golden one. Um, kind of, she's getting darker. She's looking a bit more red. So she's Andrex puppy come fox red. Uh, is probably the best way to describe it. She's three months old, and JB will meet her on the razzle on Thursday. Oh, yes, absolutely lovely. But some, yeah, no, all all is good. Summer holidays have started on Friday, which does now mean um, we have the joys of 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 kids for six weeks yes um, um i suppose we ought to talk about uh leadership stuff otherwise, oh but no because sometimes uh, i think we did get one bit of feedback from someone um who said um that why don't we talk about leadership <laughs> that was um, that was someone that was that had signed up via our seedal platform thinking it was a training course it didn't read the description oh. saying this is not a traditional webinar it, and they they wondered why there was no slides and stuff like that but that's what happens when you don't read the description but people that have downloaded this have come knowing full well that we are indeed just Ant and jb having a chin wag and it happens to be under the banner of seed which is why we can't swear or say anything defamatory well i think we can actually because i know global they do lots of uh you know swearing on their podcasts but anyway, yeah i don't um, feel entirely comfortable swearing on the podcast i don't know oh, bullshit have you listened to the back catalogue recently you're the potty <laughs> mouth of the pair of us <laughs> well I, I so sometimes i get a bit passionate about things and if if i'm going to use an expletive it will come out because i'm pissed off with something <gasps> oh my goodness really um, really really um so yeah so we we do have some themes to talk about today uh, there actually has been quite a lot that's evolved in the world since our last podcast really um you know clearly me, how many prime ministers have we been through since <sighs> It's bonkers, isn't it? And and there is a real question at the moment around even opposition leaders' integrity and 
and and the lack of authenticity of you know so just just in brief now i know many of you are kind of international listeners uh, in the uk you'll all be aware of boris johnson because he was quite well renowned for just being an idiot mm. and a buffoon uh, we then had liz truss who by all mm. accounts tanked the economy although at the moment i'm reading in the financial press that they may be thinking that she wasn't as stupid as people might have thought she was but i don't know because i'm not an economist i don't really understand that uh, rishi sunak is i guess the continuity candidate as in just as steady as you go he's a bit you know safe which is maybe some nice respite for us but the risk is is then people go for extreme stuff after it and then we've got an opposition leader who's just done a u-turn which they've now nicknamed sir kid starver rather than sir keir starmer because but but you know i'm not going to get politicalist about whether you agree or disagree with this policy i think he's appealing to the center ground probably successfully there and then you've got the third party the liberal democrats in the uk who's run by this person who's about as wooden as david brent um who doesn't inspire people as the probably the 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 comfortable conservatives would more likely vote for Lib Dem than Labour, but under do his you, leadership, yeah. Do you ever get a sense, Ant, that um, in, in a lot of um, politics around the world, that we're just kind of moving around the deck chairs uh, and, and <laughs> focusing on the most ridiculous things uh, when actually, you know, the Titanic is going to hit an iceberg mm. uh, or is in... That so we, we don't know about you know to to what extent climate change um, no. is is are we in last chance saloon or you know is this irreversible I don't know <clears throat> but it seems to me that uh, that is probably the most important thing uh, on the agenda. Uh, right I, now. I I agree and yet uh, I I look and we're not going to get I know there's been protests around Europe um, with oil anti oil activists and things and I'm. Not sure that they're helping the cause or not, because I think there's enough news headlines now for us to be aware of the economic, sorry, the environmental risks of focusing on the economy and nothing else. Yeah. I agree, though, JB, and I think what's interesting is when I've spoken to international colleagues, um, that our country is not alone in the current disdain of politics and the economic situations. We're, we've all got a COVID hangover as a comp- as yeah. a, as a as a world. You know, we've all had to spend heavily, so we're all heavily indebted. And of course, all the opposition parties all over the world are blaming the government that was of the day of COVID to say that they, you know, they did everything wrong. And I think that's a problem. But the truth is, is that how do you how do you lead to all this? Because it's it's all uncharted waters. I mean, you know, wartime leaders are one thing, but. Um, recovery from a pandemic with now a cost of living crisis, inflation going up, although it's starting to steady a bit more now. Um, you're right. There's there's the priorities and the headlines they go for. It all seems to me at the moment around the world, it's all about trying to get the opposite, the the current government uh, basically to be unelectable rather than actually being elected on their own ambitions and what they want. There's no vision. I don't see any vision from anybody about what the future looks like. No. I t- so someone asked me a really good question in the pub the other night, and it was to do with climate change. And the question was, um, is democracy fit for purpose uh, in, terms, in terms of um, climate change and the things that we need to do across the world uh, to, to actually mitigate and to, to protect and to deal with this um, uh, democracy well, you can see it, you know, that mm. now uh, there's there's kind of forces moving into a sort of denial position, which in the short term, denial um, is, you know, a, a, you can understand why denial is a better better place to be for some politicians 
um, because in the short term, we can carry on doing what we're doing and we're not having to make any uh, lifestyle adjustments or things that we really do need to do. Um, so a, a brave opposition would be the ones that actually say that we need to limit some of the things that we do yeah. um, to restrict some of the things that we do and start investing in green technology uh, rather than oil and gas and all of that. The, yeah. business. I think the, the problem we've got is most most um, political parties know they've got 10 years at best in yeah. government before they start losing momentum so i suspect in the uk we'll probably end up possibly well, i don't know actually I, th I think we'll end up with a labor government how mm. big their majority is is questionable mm. um but, but interesting jb on your point um i was having a really interesting discussion down the pub ironically again with a few of my mates um and you'll meet some of them possibly on thursday if they all had to happen to be in the pub the same time we're there um and there was a really interesting discussion around the lack of leadership in proportional representation uh, government countries Right. Because no one can take the leadership. No one can make the final decision because it is a proportional representation. So there is almost cliques of things to kind of debilitate the government of the day from doing anything meaningful because you're constantly surrounded by opposition leaders that collectively you make up the whole. But unless you can get everything over the line on one particular policy, it's very rare that they agree on anything because they all want to take an opposing view to the biggest party. Um, and how they actually like the UK's politics because it's first past the post, as they call it, which basically yeah. means whoever has the most votes, um, regardless of whether it's over 50% of the electorate, will basically win control in the same way. And it's not as bad as, as the electoral college voting system in the US, in my opinion, where a president um, is, is one vote. But ironically, Clinton beat Trump in his winning in speech marks uh, uh, election to be president of the US because there was actually more votes for the Democrats than there was for the Republicans, but the way the votes were distributed. And I think it, it's it's a really tricky place because as a leader at the moment, I mean, we've said this before, JB, I would happily run businesses. There is no way on earth, despite the fact I might think I might be quite good at it, I would ever want to lead a political party or a country. No way. No way. Even if you were paid two million pounds a year yeah you wouldn't you wouldn't do it i nope. wouldn't do it i nope. wouldn't I, would, I wouldn't do it for a week nope. I, not, not. <laughs> or as liz trusted for six weeks <laughs> <laughs> and 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 three weeks we were in mourning and, and burying our queen and then and then we had a we had i think um what was it called the recess for the um for the for the, the conferences so basically she only really governed for a fortnight i believe what happened to that lettuce um, I, be I believe it's doing great. It's retired on the beach in, in the Bahamas, oh, having nice. a lovely time of it. And it's, well, it's, it's still only what, you know, it's not even a year old yet, is it? Is it, is it going to go for um, a, a constituency somewhere? Where perhaps maybe. Yeah. Maybe. When there's a next uh, opportunity to, to be elected, um, maybe <laughs> maybe we will actually end up with a lettuce as a, as a prime minister. Maybe that'd be that, that, because that will be a green thing. So yeah. maybe that's the, the way forward. Agreed. I, I, I think, look, and if anyone of you listening thinking that they said they were going to talk about leadership, well, we are <laughs> um, in, in some shape or form here. And, and I think our point is this, is that, you know, some people need a leader and, and sometimes it is the job of the leader, even if you are not necessarily the preferred leader by the majority of your organization, you still need to win hearts and minds. And at the moment, I think that the world is too divided, but in a business, 
if we can keep politics out of it, you know, you are going to perhaps be leading a business at some point in the future, which may be where 30% of them thought, I didn't want that guy or girl getting the job. No chance. I didn't want them leading this business. You've still got to prove to them. And that's, that's a challenge. Um, but all that I think if we, if we really open the bonnet at the moment of what's broken is that there isn't any authentic leaders that they're, they're chasing votes or they're taste chasing, sabotaging the opposition over a vision that's going to excite people. I reckon there needs to be a new political party in the UK for sure, um, because no political party represents me at the moment. I know I've always been, I'm centre, I'm very much, I was probably, although I wasn't old enough to vote for, for Blair when he first, in 97, um, I was by the time he left office in 2007, 10 years later, um, by which time they were fatigued and, you know, and, and done and they'd bankrupted the country. Um, Conservatives are too far in my opinion, there, there seems to, well, I don't know. It's it's all very messy. Um, and there's no leader that I think really represents me or the majority. There is no one I could get behind at the moment, um, which is tricky. The, uh, the, the majority of leaders. Uh, yeah. Yeah. The majority of leaders, I think, in the UK uh, of, of various parties. And, I'm you know, I'm thinking about the front benches and so mm. on. Um most of them are not really good role models for leadership <clears throat> generally. Is there um, one? Is there one name across any parties at the moment that you'd say, if they we got put, we won't even mention the political party, so that those that don't um, live in the UK are aware of UK politics, which politician, if any, would you say, if I had to, and which is the, the reality right now, quite possibly, um, you would vote for? I have one if you want me to go first. You go first, because I actually can't think of one. Penny Morden. Oh, right, okay. She's qu she was quite handy um, holding <laughs> that sword. The coronation. She? She's but, got swords, but it's interesting. sword-carrying capability. But what's interesting about her is if you forget the what you see in the news headlines, she seems to have the most respect across the house. So if you actually look at a lot of, you know, for example, let's take that that coronation thing you're referring to she had to carry the there's some job of the government where one of them has to basically go and if there's a, a monarch um, that's crowned they have to go and carry a sword basically which is some traditional bullshit but never mind let's put that by the side um anyway but but actually there were people from across the house um emily whatever her name is from the labor party who was praising penny morden about how great she looked and what a brilliant job she was representing the country and that's the sort of politics that in inspires me is actually do you know what there is more than that unites us than divides us why don't we you know why don't we have politicians going on newsnight the new you know and talking about things they agree on rather than disagree on and maybe that's the part of the journalist's fault to create division and create some nice gotcha moments on social media but i think that's half the problem and social media is a whole different subject on on leadership and the challenges we face right now, because you're constantly being analysed and judged in a permanent discussion forum that can't be turned off. Yes. Um, the um, here's here's one that mm -hmm. I think will be um, I might might surprise you. Mm -hmm. uh, Theresa May. Ooh. Now, um, mm, I interesting. Think she, I think she had a really really uh, unfair shot at things. And I think she was seriously undermined um, by a certain Mr. Johnson. But, yep. um, you know, that happened. I think she's um, 
actually since mm. since she was um, kicked out i think she's been a very strong backbencher with a good voice um and respect across the house her and harriet um, Harmon, but as a as a double act would be pretty strong i reckon yeah i think so i think so and that um the previous leader of the green party there's um, two Bob of them brighton caroline lucas now i respect her i think she's a very very good politician a very good communicator Eesh. yeah okay well there we are well no no i think i think it's really interesting but the, the thing that i agree with harriet Harmon and theresa may is that they are respectful in their jibes of opposition parties caroline lucas i think is very divisive in her communications as was farage and i think that's i think the country the electorate are tired of of hate on the opposition you know if you don't vote my party you're disgusting you know you've you, you you know you're 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 burning this world down by your policies you're killing people by you know by the the oil cost of oil pricing etc and that is divisive i think whereas theresa may harriet Harman, for example i think are much more measured and i think they get a lot more respect because of it is my opinion but i've yeah. seen caroline lucas talking in the house of commons too many times now i just think Please stop. I agree with what your policies are most of the time, but how you're delivering does not make me feel that you are someone that respect, you know, we have to govern for all. And that, that as a job, as a boss of a company, we have to lead what's right for the shareholders and the employees as a collective. And we're never going to get it all right. But, I, you know, you would never have someone in a business saying my pre publicly too often, if the culture is good, saying my predecessor was an absolute piece of shit or actually that department disgusts me with some of the things they do. It would cause so much problems, so many problems in the business that it would be, it would fail as is most of our economies. Hmm. This is not something we anticipated to talk about. We need to get in some listener questions at some point, but I hope that the listeners listening to this will have some reflections on actually this is, this is a challenge for, for us as leaders of, of businesses or teams. We're going to have pretty divided populations of our direct reports. Some are going to be conservative, Lib Dems, Labour, Republican, Democrat. Enter your party name here. This elections over the weekend wasn't there in Italy, where I think the Spain. right, Spain, Spain. And, and the right have just got it, but not a majority. Yeah. They've got a minority yeah. government. So, yeah. yeah. I think that we should talk about millennials. <sighs> Ooh, shall I add the context of an email we've had in, in the UK? Yeah. Okay. Yeah. So we have three listener questions to get through in the next half hour or so. Uh, the first one reads as follows. Good afternoon. I hope you're well. This is quite a long one for an unusual because normally this person has been on one of the Seedle webinars that me and JB host and you can sign up to Seedle at Seedle.com. I just wanted to follow up from the webinar I participated in with Ant and JB. Engagement of people and its connection to company performance. I raised a question at the end about motivating different generations and it was mentioned that you could dive this into this further. I'd really appreciate that if possible to gain further insight. We spend a lot of manager time discussing how to improve staff motivation, buy and morale but the newest recruits seem so very, very different to us when we joined. Uh, we need to ensure that we're considering all factors and giving them the best opportunity of succeeding. An additional factor is that although all of our staff do have line managers, since we're in the X department with about 40 staff, managers and partners, for example, they also work with multiple different managers and for every audit they're part of, it also varies again. 
So if staff have different motivational needs, it's hard for us to meet all of them, especially if they've got through two or three reporting lines. Um, please would love for you to talk about this further on the podcast. Um, and, and this, I, I think, to kind of pave the way slightly is that the context of this in the in the engagement and people and connections to company performances, we are probably now in a situation where we have multi generations all in the same industries. 15 years ago, certain generations would be probably, you know, very traditional in if they're an accountant, for example, uh, and that now is very much mixed. Um, and probably our ancestors may have been in more manual jobs than perhaps today. We've got such a heavily professional services um, world in the UK, for example. Um, manufacturing isn't what it used to be. So I suppose there is all these shifts of changes of population. And as a line manager now, I might have somebody that is Gen Z, millennial, Gen X, um, baby boomer even in the workplace, in my same team. And therefore, how do we um drive engagement and performance and morale and motivation across all these generational divides who wants to go first <laughs> well i i think what we ought to do to start with um is to clarify all of these different gen y's gen z's gen yes, please. x and, and so on um i am firmly in the baby boomer camp uh, because I was born, I know you often think that I was born before the Second World War, but I actually was born um, between 1945 and mm. 1964. I thought your middle name was Plague after the year you were born in. <laughs> Jonathan Plague Bradley. <laughs> um, so I, I am a baby boomer, and that means that I was born... Um, somewhere between 1945 and 1964. How old am I? Um, and then you've got your Gen Y, otherwise known as the Millennials. Or have you heard this one? Um, that they what, are. What year is Gen Y Millennials, by the way? 81, isn't it? Uh, 1982 to 1994. Okay. Um, and their, their other term is digital natives. Okay, so they were they, born with digital access. Yeah, that, I mean, they, they live their lives looking at screens um, a lot, uh, unlike me, a baby boomer. Um, can't, I often can't turn them on. Um, so what's, so baby boomers, so you've then got, there's then the periods between you and and the 1982s. So you've got the, the Gen Xs. Which is me. Because um, you you were born between 1965 and 1981. Blimey, that's a big old. That's a lot of change in that period, though. I mean, the it's Beatles were popular when that started, and I certainly didn't hear the Beatles when I was a kid. Yeah. Oh, well, actually, I I I was um, uh, the Beatles were massive in my in my lifetime. You know, I grew up with the Beatles. Um, that's how old I am. And then you've the the Gen Zs. These are um, people aged between 8 and 23. So in um, a, a, a rising proportion of um, groups in organisations happen to be in the Gen Y and Gen Z category. Yeah. And this is, I think, the root of our um, listeners' question, which is, you know, what do we do with them to motivate them, uh, to retain them, 
to kind of feel help them to feel like they're part of this thing uh and and they're you know highly productive um they're um highly skilled highly willed high-flying people uh how do you how do you get that how do you turn them on in in the workplace whilst you've got these other other factors the baby boomers um and you know the gen x's like like you i think that's hopefully that's quite useful to just know what we're talking about so if we start talking about gen y gen x gen z baby boomers people will know what we're on about okay um so let should we should we sort of just look at this um gen y the millennials and the gen z's maybe we can put them can we put them in the same bracket for now i'd I'd hope so i'm 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 willing to go even higher i'm willing to try and think holistically but i i think you're right i think it's gonna be interesting yeah i did some prep for this for a change of please to hear good grief i know um well so uh, can I just throw in a little, uh, not a googly, but a, a thing that I think is quite important. As we started uh, talking about politics, I'm not suggesting we go back into it, but that that generation, the Gen Zs and the Gen Ys, I think that they are they are concerned and conscious of the environment in a way that perhaps baby boomers are not. So they go into workplaces and I think they want to know what the policies are of said organization towards things that they really, really care about. And they are knowledgeable about recycling. They are knowledgeable about society. They're they're knowledgeable about values. And I think they are um, probably as sick as we are of um, politics and politicians um, cocking up their lives. Um, So uh, as a, you know, culturally, they are looking for a good fit before we start. So, so that for me is the first, the first point is getting the culture right, getting the language right, and giving people in Gen Y and Gen X, sorry, Gen Z, um, belief in the values, belief in the purpose, belief in, in the way that that organization considers the outer environment um and you know how 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 they treat society and 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 good policies and fair fairness and stuff like that so uh, the stuff that i've read uh, actually you know that's a that's a really really important factor for these people otherwise they're not going to join that company hmm. does that fit with your thinking it it does it does and, and and i'm guessing from my perspective i was trying to work out how we reckon recognize this so i think your 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 point there sits quite nicely in my step one which is to understand the generational differences so you know take some time to understand the characteristics of of gen x gen y millennials or they're the mm-hmm. same thing aren't they um their values 
you know, to your point, JB, you know, we, we've, we probably have an evolution of values now of what's important to the, the, the different generations over the years. Um, and, and in your direct reports, try and recognize what those differences are in the group, understand their perspectives, which can either tailor your messages in one-to-one -one conversations, or you can attempt to be more inclusive in group communications. Um, so for example, thinking about communication, um, I know that my dad would never, and he's a baby boomer, I think. It probably is, yeah. What, what, um, what years is boomer? Nin 1945 to 1964. So my dad is just a boomer, literally on the cusp in the mid-40s. Um, my dad, you would never communicate with him via text message, mm. WhatsApps, emojis. He likes to have communication by phone or face-to-face -face, predominantly. Mm. Um, yet that would be the last thing that um, that millennials would probably want. They want an instant hit of dopamine through a social media interaction, for example. So in terms of communication, it, it's recognizing that you connect with people differently. Um, some prefer face-to-face -face phone calls, um, you know, uh, emails, texts, social media messages, and so on. And I think this comes back to what you and me talk about a lot, JB, around knowing, focusing, and valuing people. Mm. I think actually you can span the generational differences if you spend some time to really know focus and value everybody on an individual level um you know so recognize what the strengths are of the individuals um celebrate their unique contributions and their perspectives within the realms of reality because you know i know some people will be accused of well that's not how we do things now we, inclusivity means accepting and tolerating all people's views um, and also celebrating people's strengths and achievements rather than their values you know, so be specific on those sorts of things. Um, and then the, 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 going back to the question that's come in on the email, um, I think there is a need even more in these situations to create a shared purpose. So me and JB talk a lot around a vision and a vision of the vision. Well, our team's vision can span multi-generations. And where you've got lots of line managers, it's okay for them to have their own visions that represent what their aspirations are. Um, but... I think what is consistent from my dad, JB, me, my kids, JB's grandkids and everything in between, I think I've done a pretty good there of trying to represent all generations here, yeah. is that we can still make people all feel part of something that's meaningful and important. Um, and we can inspire them, which is what JB and I talk a lot about. You know, it's one thing having a company message, but how do we make them all feel part of something? You know, your unique contribution, the no focus value thing again. Um, but then the, the, my final point I'll make before I, I stop rambling um, is I, I think there needs to be, as a line manager, some encouragement of intergenerational collaboration. So you can be clever and say deliberately, you know, I want to bring us all together because we've all got these different experiences of what the world looks like. How do we bring all that thinking together as one team? And actually, it'd be really useful to get, well, what's your perspective? Because your perspective might be completely different to mine. But be open about the fact that we have differences. And it doesn't have to be because of the generational differences. It can just be, we've all got different experiences to this point of what good looks like. What's your take on it? And then get some shared agreement from the group as to what we all co collectively agree on. Perhaps, you know, try and, unlike politicians, which we were talking about earlier on in the podcast, work out what unites us than divides us. Because there is always going to be some things that we think differently of. I go down the pub, there's some of my mates that I'm like, oh, I just have to see them once a month, thank goodness for that, versus other people that I've got complete shared alignment with. But we're all there every month together because we like each other's company, uh, you know. So, and also I think there is, 
there's a lot about so on social media at the moment that people like to go in echo chambers. I'm not sure they do. It's not healthy. It's quite fixed in your ways. If you're only going to surround yourself by conservatives or labor people or Lib Dem people or straight people or gay people or, you know, any other um, uh, diversity question, um, there is a risk that you're going to have a single viewpoint. I think we need to be inclusive. And I think if we can encourage that in our leadership groups, in the people in which we manage, we're going to have a lot more for it. And listening to other people's opinions is actually really good value for us to understand their viewpoint and perspective. So, yeah, I think understand generational differences, understand the communication variations you need to do that is relevant to each of those people in your team, um, creating um, a shared purpose um intergenerational collaboration and jb and i's old chestnut of no focus value every individual should be known focused and valued for their own unique spin putting the generation point aside so i get from that um uh, th this kind of uh, message medium and meaning and you know the the message needs to be uh targeted for those different groups to be inspired by it to understand it so the the actual overall message will be similar but tweaked to uh each of those different groups and the medium it strikes me needs to be carefully considered because you can focus on town hall meetings, you can focus on one-to-one -one sessions, you can focus on group gatherings and uh, all of that sort of thing, which, you know, for a baby boomer like me, uh, that kind of works. It works really well. Uh, I'm not so interested in being part of a great big WhatsApp group, for example. <laughs> uh, that doesn't really excite me very much, but I'll do it. I'll do it because it's necessary to keep in contact with everybody. Um, but I'm much, much happier uh, in, you know, having having lots of conversations with people. Um, you made me think there, Anne, about uh, mentoring uh, and mentoring schemes whereby, you know, people can learn uh, upwards, downwards, sideways. And, and you always make the point about reverse mentoring, which I think is tremendous, whereby you know, the, the Gen Ys, the millennials, are actually mentoring um, a baby boomer. And that, that mentoring might be, you know, the best, the best use of, of technology um, and to get your head around it and know how to use it and make the most of it in this business, you know. Um, and I just use that as one example. I'm sure there's there's an awful lot of other things that a that a millennial could teach a an old baby boomer like me. Yeah. Um, but I'd also think that it's relevant that an old baby boomer like me has got things to impart uh, to a Gen Y and a Gen Z. But what I think people like me have to be conscious of is that uh, we would need to adapt our communication, our medium towards things that are a little bit more modern. Um, so social media uh, and, you know, uh, contact groups like WhatsApp and so on uh, are really, really important. So I, in all of that, I think with the, with the message, uh, the medium and the meaning, I, in, in creating a diverse workplace, 
with all of these different groups within it is, as you say, Anne, it's a hugely valuable thing to create and to um, nurture and to, to, to kind of thrive on it. And it's actually, do you know what? For me, it just comes down to, you know, the, the, the frequency, the quality and the impact of the communication and, and being flexible and dynamic around that and being really open. So not, not going, oh, God, not WhatsApp again. Or is that <laughs> the only way you bloody communicate? Mm. Um, I, I think that we should be really open to using all of these d- different things. I do think that uh, mentoring is a tremendous thing to have in an organization, mentoring and reverse mentoring, and putting that as a program together, with, which leads me to another point uh, for this conversation, and that is the learning, uh, the learning and development needs of these different groups. Um, I understand that uh, millennials and Gen Z uh, groups uh, really have very high expectations of um, joining a a company organization where their learning will be developed, you know, where there are really, really good learning opportunities um, to get the most out of that position with, with the mindset that it's it might be three to five years that they're in that business, mm. not like twenty years, not, not like in baby boomer land where I was in um, media for seventeen years in the same company, but it was like you know as many different companies in very different guises. But you know they 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 want to get bang for their bucks in terms of their learning experience, and so therefore. Uh, for those millennials and, and Gen Zs, I think we want to create fabulous, a fabulous track of learning for them, possibly um, with that, a mentor uh, stroke coach uh, who they can check in with along that route of learning. And then I, I just finally want to add to that point is something we talk about quite a lot which is creating the conditions of trust and psychological safety um, accompanied by optimal challenge. Uh, I think that term optimal challenge for millennials and Gen Zs is, is really, really important and, and getting them to think about what their optimal challenge in learning should be for the time that they're with this business? What what are the things that would be absolute optimal learning, not too much and not too little? And I think having that starting point with the onboarding from the get-go, really strong onboarding where they, they, they really get to see what the purpose of this business is, what it's committed to, um, what it stands for in the community, uh, what it backs, what it supports, how that person can get involved um, in in feeling like they belong to all of those missions and uh, the ways that that organisation gets involved with the wider world, not just, you know, the office. Um, and then from that moment is a, is a track of support and appropriate optimal challenge. Like that a lot. Um, <clears throat> some other things I was doing a bit of research online 
um, some other thoughts for you to the you question person. Gen X. Haha. <laughs> Um, flexible incentives work really well, apparently, around creating, creating engagement of a diverse workforce of multi-generations. Um, in other words, um, some people may prefer financial incentives, whilst others may value more flexible work hours, opportunities for professional development or work-life balance. So a one-size-fits-all can be problematic. You know, it's quite obvious you can't offer brilliant pay and everything else we've just mentioned. Yeah. But actually, it's it's again, it's all about the individual. And I think, you you know, it, at Seedle, for example, we have some people that are um, financially rewarded for their sales performance. Other people, um, you know, what's valuable to them is, is flexible hours. So they get to work from home. They come and go as they please. And that's far more important than a basic salary. And I think yeah. – the non-monetary recognition conversation can be a really important conversation to have with all your people. Um, you know, I know certainly from talking to, again, my, my, my dad um, certainly thinks, you know, what, you know, nine to five, surely. <laughs> um, yeah, yeah. You know, but, but ironically he, he now recognizes that God, life would have been a bit easier when you were kids. Cause my dad brought me up on my own with my sister. You know, he had to take me to school at 20 to 8 in the morning because that's the only time he could do it to work around his, his work-life balance. Um, growth opportunities. I think JB's talked about this as well. But I think, you know, look, we we should be talking to our people about skill development that they would like. Um, and, you know, what it may well be that it's useful for you to consider doing workshops with your teams to understand the differences and collaboration and those sorts of things. Um, it is not, you know, I think... Many moons ago, you're told to respect your elders, but those people, ironically, and this is a bit of a, a difficult opinion I'm going to give here, but, you know, respect your elders was traditionally aimed at the people that fought in a war. Yeah. And, I, and, I, and I think that the boomers, sorry to say, JB, some of them have a sense of entitlement that they deserve equal respect and therefore can behave as they please. Actually, no, that, that respect is constantly earned in the same way that I think that there is almost the flip side of that at the moment, where there are some kids that are coming into the workplace who assume that they deserve that most respect without any experience. And I think those sorts of differences can cause all sorts of complications in, in collaboration and, and team ethos amongst other things. We, we all, we all have equal rights to respect and everyone is welcome. Uh, no one has more opinion that's valid than another. Um, but experience is important and we respect the experience if it's relevant to the conversation. It uh, doesn't mean that we don't listen to other people's opinions. Um, and finally, for me, lead by example and foster a supportive culture. So um, demonstrate values and behaviors that you wish to see in others. Being a positive role model, um, flexible and dynamic, not fixed. Um, someone that can inspire and motivate across all generations to follow suit. Supportive culture, creating an environment where people feel supported, encouraged, and empowered. Empowerment being the big thing that me and JB talk about so much. Well, the good news is that the baby boomers are dying out. <laughs> and uh, so, I, not yet, just yet, JB. I mean, you and my dad both are baby boomers. Well, I have no intention of stopping working, as you know, so um, you can't get rid of me that easily. I'm <laughs> going to be around for a long time. But um, I do. it's really interesting how um, you, you raise the, the, the point about the Second World War. And, you know, before the Second World War, you know, I think the, the class system uh, really did kind of limit the opportunity for... Uh, for flexibility in in you know people being able to move up through through the ranks of an organization um and then the war came along 
and everyone had to muck in and throw themselves into it. But out of that came this highly directive uh, approach to business. And um, particularly in men, uh, they thought that their job was to kind of run their organization like a sort of um, a military operation. Uh, and they had the right, they were born with the right to direct people. Mm. But, you know, um, my way or the highway and all of that kind of stuff. Now, I, I don't know, but I think that that sort of way of doing things is so last century. I, I think it's becoming a little bit kind of passe uh, to go around giving the benefit of your infinite wisdom and not creating psychological safety and appropriate challenges. What? You, you're suggesting that I ask them what they want out of this? Are you kidding? Um, uh, so, so you're you're that next generation ant, you know, the the, the nineteen sixty five to nineteen eighty one group, and I I I think that that directive approach is watered down to some extent. Yeah. By the time we get to you, um, and then it gets even more diluted uh, by the time we get to the Gen Ys and Gen Zs. For them an authoritarian directive led organization is not one that they're going to be attracted to i would argue um so gen x's have probably seen the biggest transformation in the world their working lives of all these different dynamics yeah um you know i i probably was at the cusp when i came into the workplace of of old school and then started to see this transformation digitalization of course helped with that um, but I certainly witnessed my parents doing one way, whereas my youngest has seen me working from home since birth, for example, yeah, yeah. flexible working, traveling all over the world, remote meetings. Yeah. Um, and does daddy work for somebody is what, you know, whereas years ago it was, well, that's your boss <laughs> and you, yeah. and you are scared of your boss. It's power and, over and power and with. Yes, absolute power over the boss had control. The boss had all the knowledge, all mm. the knowledge was centered in the boss's filing cabinet and in his head, in her head, his head. Now, you know, there is access to so much information about a business. Um, you know, everything is published. Uh, social media, things like, um, uh, what's that um, thing where you can go and look at a business's... Glass door. Glass door, thank you. Uh, that, that kind of... Uh, can tell you so much about the organization that you are having an interview with, you know, whether, whether you want to go for it or not. Um, so there's lots of access to information. There's so much knowledge for the generation uh, X's, Z's and Y's. Uh, and the baby boomers, uh, they they grew up in a very different sort of culture, as, as you're saying. Um, but that's a that's a that's a great thing to mm. to actually hold ourselves to account to the to to spread the knowledge, to to create um, the conditions uh, where people are going to feel more engaged because we publish the way that we work with our communities. We we give a shit about the impact that we have on the world. I think that's important to the millennials and the Gen Zs. They they want to they want to buy that. They're mm. magnetically drawn to a brand that gives a shit about um, all the stakeholders. I guess I guess we'd call that an inclusive company, an inclusively led organisation. 
um, not not directive, not authoritarian, open, uh, fair, fair with pay, um, fair with flexibility. And I really like your point there about um, getting that right. So people might be interested in more time to spend on other things in and trade that for a different kind of salary arrangement. I yeah. think I think we we definitely have to be agile about that. Some the, big companies use uh, credits now, don't they? Which you can yeah. convert into pay or benefits, and that's quite which, an interesting concept. Which is yeah, mighty do that, I believe. Okay. Um, agile also. I'm, I'm going to nick that word for ad, agile around performance reviews. Can you imagine and an annual appraisal being relevant to a Gen Y or Gen Z? people <laughs> I mean, an annual appraisal yeah. how's that going for you in your organization if you do an annual review with your with your millennials yeah. i can't see that working myself it's tricky it is so tricky um I, i'm conscious our, our hour is nearly up but um i think hopefully um a who submitted the question to us um you will um, have some thoughts here um i have to say and i'll make one final point which could be seen as quite controversial but hear me out. Being reflective of what I'm seeing with multi-generations in the workplace at the moment, some are really struggling. Um, and like previously, some things were taboos and some things are no longer taboos. I think we almost need to just be more accepting and tolerant of other people's views rather than being outraged by them. Um, and, I, and I'm not entirely sure how you tackle that. I hate to say it, I think DAI training in the workplace mm -hmm is becoming a problem because organizations are nervous about adopting it because otherwise they suggest they've got a problem. Some generations or some people in the population may be frustrated that I've never had a problem. So why is it now allegedly a problem? Are we force feeding people to be divided into categories and classifications? Personally, um, you know, I, I believe in, you know, I, I fortunately, I'm very fortunate that um, I've been brought up in a multicultural society in every shape. Um, and I've never seen anything around color of skin, gender, sexual preference. I've just seen people with talent. That's all I've ever seen. So for me, um, I can also appreciate some people's in the similar situations. Well, why, why do we need this, this DEI training um, and so on? And I wonder whether it's time for that to be rebranded into something completely different. And actually it'd be all about, in, you know, just the word inclusion, inclusivity, respect of everybody's opinion and respecting the fact we're not always going to agree on each other's opinions. That's good leadership. Yeah, and unfortunately, well, I, our, our politicians are not going that. They, they want division at the moment, unfortunately. Well, um, I, th they are structured in a way to, uh, to do ex exactly that. But mm. um, in organisations, I, I think what you're really referring to is a conversation rather than a, than a sort of... Um, a, a debate a polar debate polar opposite debate and then people get uh entrenched in a particular view and won't shift you know they get very fixed fixed um, yeah so so that to me seems really in sounds weird but organizations really must invest in the conversation the frequency the quality the impact uh of the conversations that need to happen in that in that organization and it, it this is a thing for senior leadership to take seriously uh if they want to keep 
um, you know, all of those groups uh, engaged, productive, uh, motivated. You've got to you've got to have senior leaders that are capable of having really good conversation with their people. And uh, I, my own experience of working with businesses around the world is that it is often missing. It's not seen as a vital ingredient uh, for the health uh, and and the, the communication inside inside that business. So so I think whichever way you can do it, build build a conversation network um, and make it appropriate uh, with all the other things that you need, like WhatsApp groups, like social media, because those things can stimulate more conversation and engage people in having really great conversation. It seems to me that the art of conversation is lost a little bit in organizations these days. And the Gen Ys and the Gen Zs, I think give them an opportunity to have a damn good conversation and they will, and they will get involved. Um, and you can, you can use their devices to stimulate that conversation. Yeah. Um, you are a fan of um, of James O'Brien, aren't you? Um, he has a podcast called Full Disclosure, I think it's called. Yeah, which is actually really good because it, it puts him less political and more about just having good conversations. He has great conversations on those. It's like super. Yeah. So he he interviewed Ricky Gervais, um, and I think one of the challenges we have in business at the moment is we're we're trying to not offend anybody. Yeah. Um, and I think that's part of our problem. We're we're, we're being too safe which almost seems like we're debilitated to do anything about situations we may find ourselves in. Um, and he was being interviewed by James O'Brien, who's a speech-based broadcaster. Uh, if you want to have a look on online for um, disclo full disclosure. Um, anyway, um, and he was interviewing Ricky Gervais uh, about the edgy humour afterlife that he uses. Oh, yeah, so if any of you have watched Afterlife, you can know it certainly really challenges most people's thinking and the language and the themes and stuff and some of the things that are said could be seen as oh my goodness really tricky and you know he probably really brought uncomfortable humor to the mainstream with the office back in the day um and he said i think being a provocateur isn't necessarily setting out to cause offense because offense by definition is subjective so yeah. you and me jb often say yeah. meaning comes from the recipient and not the communicator yeah. I don't think you can say a joke is offensive because it's subjective to the recipient. Yeah. Um, he went on, uh, you have to say, I found that joke. Sorry. You have to say, I found that joke offensive. Someone saying to me, I'm offended. They might well be saying I've got a pain in my leg. I've got no opinion about it. Yeah. I've always said just because you're offended doesn't mean you're right. Some people offended by equality. We've seen that more and more in the past few years. I say, uh, I say you have to know what the target of the joke is, what the subject is. You can make joke about race without being racist. You can make jokes about the sexes without being sexist and so on. But it, it's really interesting, isn't it? You know, he's, uh, he's certainly pushing the boundaries. There's not many people out there that, that can probably get away with what he says without being in speech marks cancelled. And I think yeah. this is the problem in the workplace that there is now too much anxiety from across the generations of offending another generation. Uh, and I think we as organizations, I think in the next year are going to have to face up to reality that there is this, you know, I'm going to use the terms that others are using, not that I'm going to have any opinion of them woke and anti woke now, um, which is not helpful. Um, I think we, we, we almost need 
to be very carefully neutral in everything. We we don't have an opinion on that, and we but we respect other people's a, a willingness to have an opinion, and we're not going to be appended because it's just it's just an opinion. It's subjective within the lines of legalities, obviously. Um, but it, it the workplace is complicated at the moment because of these multi generations and all the challenges we're facing, coupled with what's going on in the world. The access to communication and social media means that we are constantly being reported on and monitored, um, and therefore. We are so much more nervous around the accountability of what we say. Um, the time is up. Me and JB must go and uh, entertain the matters elsewhere. Uh, I will see Mr. Bradley, of course, uh, in a few days. But we have more of these uh, lined up. We have a couple of listener questions we're yet to get to. Hannah and Anonymous, we will come to your questions first up in our next recording, which I think is next week. If you do have a listener question, you can email us glp at com. glp, that's Global Leadership Podcast, at com. Come through to us and we will uh, answer those questions uh, as quickly as we can. Apologies that we've had a while without answering the questions but we will get through them as much as possible as ever i leave the final words to the legend that is mr bradley lovely uh i have nothing else in the tank um, because i'm now starving and i'm going to go and have some lunch with the wife very nice uh, well very i've nice. been i've been ants and i've been jb goodbye bye bye